Good morning. Our reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carmen. Let's pray. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pause this morning in your presence. We rejoice in your goodness to us and in all that you have given us in your Son through your Spirit. We ask that as we read your word and ponder it, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we may see you high and lifted up. And we pray that in our hearts, we would say yes to you today. Amen. Last Saturday, we went on an adventure. It was our friend's Colin's birthday. And we said, Colin, where in the world can we go on Saturday to celebrate your birthday? Anywhere you want. And after some thought, Colin said, I'd like to go to Balmallow. Now, if you come ever to St. Andrews um, by train, you will see Balmullo, sort of, and you might recognize that mountain. Colin said, for 12 years, I have gone past Lucklaw Hill, and I've looked at it, and I've thought, I want to go up there, and I've just never done it. So we said, Colin, this is your 60th birthday, 
We're going to do it. We are going to climb Lucklaw Hill. We did try it once before and got totally lost, so we got instructions, and we got our shoes on, and off we went to Lucklaw Hill. It rained as soon as we arrived, and uh, <laughs> we sheltered in the trees and waited. And then we began to try to follow the instructions, and sometimes there was a path. There was a great variety in, in the walk. There were occasional beautiful bursts of views. There were different ways of going. Could we go left or right? But if the hill was there, why did the instructions say left? So we just disobeyed the instructions. We walked on the road, we walked through a wood, we went over a few gates, we went across a field. We kept looking at the hill and saying, oh, are we, is this it? Is this it? Because sometimes actually when when you're on the hill, you're not sure if you're on it or if it's somewhere else because you can't quite see. Colin and I remembered climbing that hill with some people in the church in 1989, and I had the photo to prove it. And we were looking and saying, is this, is this the same as, as what we did in 1989? It's a very different experience when you're at the bottom looking up. And then when you're at the top looking around, is this it? But then we did get to the top and we recognized that square thing. It's probably got a name, but I don't know what it is. And it was, it was a spectacular view. And we looked all around and we could see St. Andrews and we could see... Hensmuir, and we could see Dundee, and we, could, we thought we could see beyond. In fact, I think we thought we could see Inverness if we used our imagination. <laughs> and this prayer that we have just read today is Paul's prayer. Paul is praying for the church, and perhaps in the surrounding area of Ephesus, and he's praying that they will see the view, the view of the glory of the blessings that are in Christ Jesus, the view of what salvation looks like, the view of where they've come from and where they're heading to. It's a beautiful, spectacular view, impossible to take in as you read it. Where do you begin? with a prayer like this. Paul sees that God has been at work in that church in Ephesus. That church has been journeying so well. In verse 15, he talks about their faith in Jesus and their love for each other. Surely there's nothing better than that, faith in the Lord Jesus and love for each other. That is the essence of who we are as followers of Jesus. And Paul is full of thanksgiving to God because they are faithful to Jesus in a very hostile world when it can be an upward climb. Paul knows that group of Christians very well. He lived there for two years and that church started with a great many miracles, many, many wonders. 
There was also strong opposition. You see in the picture there the temple of Artemis, or perhaps what it looked like. And Ephesus was the place where this goddess was worshipped. And there were a lot of people who made a lot of money making statues and making stuff for people to venerate this goddess. And when people began to become Christians and not buy the tat in the shops, the um, business people got quite annoyed and there was a riot in the end. Miracles but also riots came with the planting of that church. But Paul is wanting to say in this prayer, look at the view, lift your eyes. Today, being a Christian is a joy, and we have sung of some of the goodness of God in our life today. Walking with Jesus is a delight, but it's also hard. There are many people around us who are negative about any religious faith. And perhaps for ourselves, we have a a very special frustration and sadness when even people who are really close to us reject Jesus just on hearsay. And what Paul says is, listen, I pray for you all the time, all the time. I don't stop praying for you. And I pray that you will see the view that you will see the glory that is always there, even when physically you can't see it. Even when this Christian journey is full of weariness and disappointment and losing your way and perplexing decisions and wrong turnings, Paul says, I pray that you will see this panorama of God's grace. And as you breathe in God's goodness, It expands your lungs. As you know him more closely, it fills your hearts with praise. As you glimpse at what is to come, it gives strength when your muscles are aching so that you have the will and the power and the energy to keep going following Jesus. Paul's prayer, I think, whisks us up too to the peak to see what he sees of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he has done. This year, as a church, we have been thinking through prayer. What does it mean to pray? And I wonder for you, where are you on this journey? Where are we? I was talking to a friend who lives down in England, and she was telling me, about this Bible study she goes to, and it's all full of other mums like her. And she said, you know, Fiona, at the end, when we've done a Bible study and we say, what should we pray about? All the mums say, pray for my children, that they'll have happy lives, that they'll have safe travel because they're going touring around Europe, that they'll have really good jobs. And my friend said, that's all good, but is that the best that we can pray? Is it just about the here and now? I hope that Paul's prayer would be a model for us, even this week as we pray. I want us to note, first of all, that this is a prayer for the church. This you (laughs) that we see uh, in Paul's writing is you in the plural. 
This is we together. Because we receive so much of God's goodness as, God's, as Jesus' body together. And today we have a number of visitors and it's a joy to welcome you because you, in a sense, you have come from other churches, you have come from other groups, and you represent something of that wider church family where we share with you, even though this is the first time that we've met you, we've shared something of what is most important to us, which is Jesus. And so I hope that you really do feel that you are part of the family today and that you are welcome. I sometimes wonder if some of our disappointment that we feel in prayer is because we're so focused on the I, on our individual walk with Jesus, on our individual issues, our individual families, rather than our life together. Have you noticed how many of the songs that we love to sing are all about I rather than about we? Let this be an invitation to use these verses to pray for others, to pray for each other, to pray for the, for the church here in St. Andrews, but the church across the world. Let's lift our eyes to see the view. Paul prays, firstly, that the church may know Jesus better. Verse 17 I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What does it mean to know God better? We have a friend who told us that he really only went to church six weeks, um, once every six weeks because he knew the Bible story, and each time he went, it was just repeat information. So what was the point of that? Now he doesn't go at all. Is that what it means? Is it just about somehow getting facts about God and putting it in our head and, and developing interesting, clever arguments? One of the delights for me, as I become less and less able to think of clever arguments, um, is that actually knowing Jesus is knowing him in a relationship as a person, in the nitty-gritty of everyday life. Paul talks about having that spirit of wisdom and revelation where we can see things that normally we can't see. That was one of the lines in our song, wasn't it? Help me to see the things unseen. And I believe that one of the ways that God provides for us to see the unseen is through his visible body. Today, I am really pleased that uh, my friend Mariko is getting baptized. Mariko was a student here, six, seven years ago. She came to Bible studies that Judy and I led. And she says herself she really didn't understand them. It's the way you teach them. <laughs> um, she didn't really understand. 
And it was just in January this year, back in Japan, that she wrote to me and she said, can I join your Bible study from Japan? And I said, that probably would be a little bit difficult, but I put her in touch with someone in Japan who links up people who have become interested in the Christian faith outside Japan and return there. And Liz began to meet with her, and she, be, she joined a group on, online in Japan to read the Bible. I said to her, perhaps you could also um, join an alpha group, and there will be one in Japanese, and it'd be really good if you could do that. Well, she joined three alpha groups, <laughs> all in the UK, and got up at four o'clock in the morning for three days a week to join different ones. One um, that was a Catholic church, one was a vineyard church, and one was an Anglican church. So she was just sort of covering all <laughs> eventualities. They were all at different stages. And that variety of Christian conversation, over many years, when I thought nothing had happened, where I thought perhaps we had failed, she has come to faith. And today, she is being baptized. And her mother, who never has ever talked about religion at all with her, suddenly piped up one day and said, my friend says the Bible is a really good book to read. And you did a degree in the UK. What do you know about the Bible? Mariko hadn't told her mother about her search. And they are reading the Bible together. And her father's saying, what are you two doing? Yesterday, I spoke to Mickey, another Japanese um, alumni from St. Andrews who was here 20 years ago. She also became a Christian, and that was here in St. Andrews. She's now living in Southampton. And she said to me, Fiona, 30 people in our church, in our group of internationals, 30 people have been baptized recently. She said, we've done exactly the same as we've done for the last six years. We feed them and we do Bible studies with them and 30 are getting baptized. And I see that partly as fruit from this church because you have prayed, because you have welcomed, because you have offered hospitality, because you have given. And so even though perhaps you have not met Mariko personally, and you haven't met Mickey personally, and you haven't met the 30 people who have been baptized recently, you are part of this, as part of God's worldwide church, have been part of their story. And for that, I thank you, and so do they. And when you get to heaven, they'll thank you personally, I know. Last week, last Sunday, Abby was talking, wasn't he, about having a closer walk with God. And he directed especially to think of reading the Bible and praying as ways of helping us on our Christian journey. And it brought to mind a conversation that uh, we had with Hannah, and Hannah has given me permission to uh, tell you this story. She told us how when she came to study in the UK, she knew she'd have to read lots of books. And she decided that one of the books, before she bought anything else, she wanted to buy the Bible. And she showed us the Bible. And she has two post-it notes. And one is, um, I think, near her bed. 
and it says, no word, no breakfast. So before she has any breakfast, she's reading the Bible. She heard that from a preacher and really was very impressed, but she thought, I want to, to get to know Jesus more. I want my faith to grow. So she's added another one that says, no prayer, no sleep. We love that. No word, no breakfast, no prayer, no sleep. This is Hannah saying, I know a lot about the Bible. I know a lot about Jesus, but I want to grow. And it's the Holy Spirit, isn't it, who opens our eyes to see who he is when we read the Bible, when we pray, because he is our guide, our companion, our source, our goal, our way, our fitness instructor. My sister is a midwife, and she says, you know, these midwifery students, they don't really know a thing until they've come out of the classroom and they start delivering babies. And that's what it means to know God. It's to come out of the classroom and start putting into practice the things that we know of him on the climb, even when we get lost, even when we get blisters on our feet. There's a song by Tim Hughes called Everything. I want to change um, one word, which is my, to our. God in our living there in our breathing, God in our waking, God in our sleeping, God in our resting, God in our working, God in our thinking, God in our speaking. Be our everything, our everything, our everything. God in our hoping, there in our dreaming, God in our watching, God in our waiting, God in our laughing, there in our weeping. God in our hurting, God in our healing, Christ in us, Christ in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, be our everything, you are everything. Sometimes our prayers are, God, make all the bad things go away, make everything better so I can get on with my life. But maybe the invitation is to pray, Lord, May we know you better, even in this situation that we have not asked for. Paul prays that the church may know Jesus better. But secondly, he prays that the church, meaning the body of Christ, will know Jesus' hope. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This is the hope, it's the view, isn't it? It's when we look up, but it's, it's also beyond the view. It's the view that we can't see. Wikipedia says that hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on the expectations of positive outcomes. That is not the Christian hope. Because when I look at the, the world, I certainly don't feel very hopeful. When the path is hard, optimism disappears. Here, the hope is the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Hope is a calling, an inheritance that God gives us in Jesus, not an optimistic state of mind. 
There's so much here that I think I'm going to tell you a story. It's a story of an Easter service. It was, going to be, it was a baptismal service in the evening a few years ago. And I was asked to speak at it. The text was about Jesus' resurrection. And um, one of the things that intrigued me, it was about Peter and John going into the tomb where the dead body of Jesus had been laid and found that Jesus wasn't there and that there was a folded cloth, folded cloth lying. As I prepared, you sort of noticed little words and I thought, mm, I wonder why it was folded. You know, if you've just risen from the dead, do you sort of, and you're about to sort of tell the world you're alive, do you say, well, excuse me, angels, just wait while I fold up the cloth? That stayed in my mind. But then I was overtaken by events because I was clearing my parents' house and I found a letter. And this was a letter that belonged to my mother that her mother had written to her. My mother was 14 years old and she'd gone on holiday and when she came back, her mother had died and was buried. And this was the letter that her mother was writing to her about everything she wanted to say for her life. Pieces of advice. And I remember reading this letter and just weeping for the tragedy of my mother's life without her mother for so long. And there were, what surprised me in a way was um, she talked about God knowing best. I'm sorry I couldn't be with you a little longer, but God knows best that in taking me, we must have faith to believe his will is best. And after all, it's only for a short time when we should be united never to part at that promised land, in that promised land where there is neither pain nor parting, we shall meet again. But I really struggled with that, and I could not prepare my sermon. It was four o'clock on Easter Sunday afternoon. I had two hours, and I could not get past the grief of the sadness of this letter. And I went to my room, and I said, listen, God, it doesn't matter. Please help me prepare this sermon. This is not about me for now. It's not about my mother or my grandmother. There are three people who are getting baptized tonight. And I want the church to rejoice that Jesus is alive. But at the moment, that doesn't feel very real to me. It, I know it changes everything in my head. But at the moment, I can't preach. I can't preach of resurrection because my heart is really full of grief. Not so much for me, but for my mother and grandmother. Lord, you really, you, my grandmother might have said it was God's will, but I don't think it was a very good God's will for my mother. All that suffering. But listen, please, please, will you help me? And I sort of held up this and said, no, do something, Lord. And then a word came to me as I looked at it, and it was the word folded. Because here this letter was folded. And I thought, folded, that's what happened in Jesus' grave. Why was, why was that thing that was around Jesus said, why was it folded? It was folded because Jesus didn't need it anymore, because he was alive. 
And it came to me that this letter wasn't needed anymore because my mother and her mother were alive in the presence of the risen Jesus, that they had met again, that they would never part, and that all those long years of separation were at last over because of what Jesus had done. And so that Easter, it was only um, a month after my father's death, I caught a glimpse of Christian hope. And I tried my tears, at least temporarily. I wrote the sermon <laughs> about Jesus being alive. And we went to a service where three young women celebrated the hope of the new life that they had discovered in Jesus. We sang songs of Easter hope. And somehow that day, in the middle of all our struggles that were reflected in their stories, as well as those of my mother and grandmother, this future inheritance was made real in the present. And together, the church declared that they had found hope in Jesus. I wonder, was someone praying that day that that service would be filled with a sense of hope in Jesus? Was someone praying for me as I struggled that afternoon? Remember to pray for your preachers. And might we pray this week, Lord, may we know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul prays that the church would know Jesus better, that the church would know Jesus' hope. And just lastly, as we finish, that the church would know God's power, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul prays that the church will know the power that conquered death and evil, that seated the ascended Jesus over everything, above the imperial powers of the first century, above market forces, above media might, above destructive terrorist movements, above influential institutions, above rapid and bewildering chain. In fact, Paul is so excited about Jesus, his reign and his rule, that he seems to actually disappear off himself into the clouds beyond view. And we're lost thinking, oh, Paul, what are you saying? How can we take this in? But then he returns because that same Lord who is sovereign of heaven and earth is the head of the church and Paul comes right back down to the body of Christ where he started as he talked about how he prays for the Ephesians. What does this power look like? Instinctively we think of wonderful gifts and remarkable performances. After all, rising from the dead is pretty impressive. But as we get to know Jesus, we discover that he works best through our weakness. Isn't that good? Paul himself, through patient endurance, through great adversity, makes many rich. One of the people who had a huge impact on my life was Dona Juscelina. 
when I was young, uh, we, we lived in Brazil, and we used to go virtually every Sunday to Jonna Jusiliana's house. She lived in uh, one of the slums in Brazil. I've probably talked about her before because she's had a huge influence in my life. She'd once been an alcoholic, and she had met Jesus, and her life was transformed. She used to beat people up if they annoyed her. And we couldn't imagine it because she was such a warm and lovely woman. Here she is holding her Bible under her arm, but she couldn't read, but she carried it anyway because her life was a story of what Jesus can do with people when he comes into their um, lives. Every Sunday, we used to go outside her house just to the right of where she's standing, and we would sing of the sweetness of Jesus' name in a place where the smell hit you before you even arrived. Estamos muito alegres. Jesus está aqui. We are so happy. Jesus is here. He is in our midst. And so we have peace in our hearts. And that we used to sing to the cries of people beating each other up, shouting. Um, it, was, it was a terrible place. And yet there was something of the glory of heaven there. There's a story that, um, a longer story that I could tell, but uh, time is going. Um, the next picture is uh, Donna Jusilina, who's the second on the left. But then the fourth on the left is Donna Madalena. What I remember about Donna Madalena was she had no teeth and that her grandson was called Divine Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> She washed clothes by hand for rich people, and she would carry the ironed um, clothes on her head. She was not a mover and a shaker. And yet here she is with Donna Juscelina and others in the poorest area of town. Um, it was a clinic that offered medical help for people. And there she was carrying people's burdens being Jesus' hands and feet, being the body of Christ in the most desperate of places, knowing the power of God in ways that I cannot begin to understand. And all these decades later, their lives still speak to me. Like the Ephesians, they are a people faithful to God, loving others, the living, walking evidence of Jesus' headship, a powerful witness to the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So for us, as we close this week, what does that power look like? If we look around here, there are some people that uh, you know very well and some that you don't. There are also people watching online. We are part of one family. And the power is going to look different for different ones of us, for some. Just getting out of bed this morning is evidence of God's power. Or climbing these steps when your legs are sore. Or walking away from overwhelming temptation. Or continuing to pray week in, week out when there seems to be no answer. Or being bold about talking about Jesus to the people around you. Or being gracious with your family when they're really annoying you. And together... When we meet, we affirm the truths about Jesus and what he's done for us. 
We are evidence of God's power at work in our lives, a community that's learning to rely on divine power amid our weakness. So as you pray this week, why not take some of these vibrant words that Paul has used and pray them for others? Perhaps take one word for each day, faith in Jesus, love, knowing Jesus, wisdom, revelation, hope, inheritance, power. Write a word each day on a post-it, put it somewhere where you keep seeing it. Set an alert on your phone or Alexa so that you are reminded perhaps every hour to pray even a one-sentence prayer. Please, Lord, would you give the church in China um, hope in you? Please, Lord, would you give the church in Yemen power to know who they are in you? Inhabit that work for a day. Walk it, talk it, draw it, color it, breathe it with thanksgiving. This week, pray that God's people, the church, would know God better, would know God's hope, would know God's power. Pray that in doing so, as we journey together with Jesus, we may catch something of the glorious view to his praise and glory. Amen.